0: Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropos, part-time actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Notice that I removed the word background from my intro. From now on, I'm just going to call myself an actor. And when and if I start doing this full-time, I'll remove the phrase part-time as well. Baby steps, thanks so much for tuning in. Here's what I talk about in this episode Perseverance, networking, acticles, feedback, medical emergencies, and auditioning for roles. I'll use recent acting experiences to support my message so you can clearly see how it's exemplified, and I'll attempt to sum up the moral of each story for you so you don't have to think too hard about it. Think Aesop's fables, but in the 21st century for people who don't like to read and would rather just listen. I'll get started after the break it's saturday january 8th 2022 happy new year again if i haven't said it already i'm in my office for the day since my car is in the tire shop a few blocks away so i'm recording this on my phone you may not even be able to tell the difference In this segment, I'm going to talk about perseverance. I think this is totally relevant to acting because it's one of the things many experts in the field will tell you. You cannot give up on your dream. You have to persevere. And this can be at both the macro level and micro level. In other words, if you're going to be successful, as an actor, in the grand scheme of things, you have to believe it's going to happen for you, which is what propels you to keep going, to persevere. But even at the smallest level, you can exhibit tiny acts of perseverance, which collectively might add up to something bigger. Case in point, I had an acting gig on Thursday this week, but I first had to drive all the way to Covington for a COVID test, and they didn't open until 9am. Normally, I would stress about this until I got my call time the night before. My call time was 11.30, so that gave me plenty of time to test and get back to Atlanta. But at midnight, the call time changed to 9.48, a good hour and 40 minutes earlier. Still not a problem. But then I got a flat halfway home from Cinele Studios around 9.45 a.m. It was the strangest thing. People on the highway were honking at me and pointing to my tire. I stopped the car and checked it out. Yes, my driver's side rear tire was flat, but I got in my car and continued to drive anyway. It wasn't making that normal flopping sound, so I figured I could just keep driving, which I actually could. First, I called Central Casting and left them a message saying I had a flat and that I'd be late without really indicating if I was ever going to make it there. I started the car again and quickly got back up to 60 miles per hour. But then I realized that it takes roadside assistance a good hour to show up. So maybe I should call them and have them meet me on set where I expected to be in about 15 minutes. Well, this time, the phone call took a good 10 minutes. And by then, the tire was totally flat and I could no longer drive the car. So I had to sit there for another hour waiting for the guy to show up. In the end i made it to the set of monarch two hours and 20 minutes late but it didn't matter they knew i was coming and had a shuttle at the parking lot to take me to set after arriving i ran into a new friend of mine lisa and began chatting up a storm the pa came over and shushed me because i was talking too loudly while they were rolling this is another thing to be wary of Onset holding is typically so close to filming that you have to sit there silently, which is not much fun. Plus, the room wasn't well lit, meaning all the BG were literally sitting in the dark. And I mean this both literally and figuratively. Poor lighting and very little sharing of information. I picked a seat near the well-lit part of the room and began reading a book and 90 minutes later, they wrapped us. That's probably the easiest $100 I've ever made, although it was difficult getting there. So my point is that at the most fundamental level, you have to have a sense of perseverance. I don't mean to say that getting to the Monarch set after suffering a flat means I'll be famous someday, but it does mean I have the quality of perseverance in me. Do you? This reminds me of this insane day in the early 1990s when there was a terrible storm in New York City. Just as I was getting onto the Hoboken Ferry to ride across the Hudson River to the World Financial Center, the boats stopped running. I ended up in the Hoboken train station in my suit with water up to my thighs. I have no idea how this happened. Instead of turning around and going home, which at the time I had no idea how I'd do this as the New Jersey transit trains were no longer running, I trudged on and made it to my office on Wall Street after a horrific two-and-a-half-hour commute. A few hours later, when my pants had dried, I made the long journey home, somehow finding a bus that would take me back to Bloomfield, New Jersey. One final note on this. Despite persevering, I think you also need to have a sense of reality about your life and how things may or may not pan out. In other words, at some point, your perseverance may get you into trouble. If you've spent 50 years of your life trying to get a speaking role and it still hasn't happened, you may have to conclude that it's just not in the cards for you, or you could blindly continue to persevere. The choice is yours. Speaking of which, I just saw a sign walking by McDonald's trying to entice people to work there for $11 an hour, and the opportunity to be part of a squad, whatever that means. My brain immediately yelled, hey, that is more than most background jobs pay, but clearly not as interesting or fun. But I do believe people would listen to a podcast from a person who flips burgers at McDonald's. My second topic is networking. This is another thing I've been told about succeeding in this field. Aside from innate talent and lots of training, you have to network with people. It's all about establishing and building relationships with others because that's how you discover opportunities and how people discover you. You have to be in the right place at the right time and oh, it helps to know that people work with people they like. So it's in your best interest to have a lot of people who both know you and like you. Both have to be true. Don't be a Grinch, because although everyone knows who the Grinch is and how he stole Christmas, most people probably don't like him and so would not hire him for a job. So here's my story, and this happened yesterday on the set of P Valley, and I don't think anything to this extent has ever happened to me before. Some guy walked up to me and asked if I'd worked on The Wonder Years. I said yes about five times and began rattling off the roles and episodes, he recognized me because he had done crew work on a number of those episodes. He went on to say he had lived in both LA and New York and was working on a project that could potentially use me as the head of some corporation. No lines, of course, but plenty of airtime. I gave my business card, the acting one, not the real estate one, and he went on his way. But he returned 20 minutes later to say we had a friend in common. It turned out to be someone I don't even know whom I follow on Instagram but I had him show me the profile and I have no idea who this person is. He's a real estate agent in Atlanta who also happens to work for the same company as me, but in a different office. And then he rambled on about how famous this guy is and how he performs at Atlanta Pride and everyone knows him. Well, apparently not everyone. I like to pride myself, no pun intended, on not following herd mentality. So if I don't know someone, I don't take it personally as a slight of some sort. It's just what it is. Anyway, my brain started to conclude that this guy was gay and perhaps was actually hitting on me. I mean, now the comment, quote, I like your look, unquote, meant something completely different. Of course, I have no way of knowing this, but here's the moral of this tale. We have all heard the horror stories of women manipulated by the system and forced to do things they didn't want to in order to get ahead in the entertainment industry. It never occurred to me that men could be victimized, too, but now I think that's a real possibility, although probably less common. Couldn't a powerful gay man in Hollywood entice other men into favors in exchange for getting them somewhere in the world? Or a woman do the same to a straight man? Or a lesbian to another woman? I think so. So if you're one of these people and listening, just know that I'm going to do this the old fashioned way. I'm going to work hard and earn it. This sort of happened to me during college, although it has nothing to do with Hollywood. I was working as a banquet waiter at a country club and some old man grabbed my ass as I was serving the table lunch. I was shocked and appalled and didn't know what to do. So I did nothing. I mean, I wasn't even 100% sure it had actually happened. Maybe someone's elbow accidentally had bumped my buttock? Who knows? So having been through this, I can clearly understand how confusing a situation like this can be for a victim. A similar thing happened at J.P. Morgan when I was in my 20s. This was not physical, but verbal. A manager made a strange comment suggesting that giving someone oral sex would be the only way to get something out of another person. And I thought, why would you make your point with that? Did he think I was gay and would somehow understand his message more clearly? And then at SunTrust, this curmudgeon of a man made a totally inappropriate comment about sodomy being the punishment he'd receive if he didn't do what his boss had asked of him. Again, I thought, Is this really appropriate in the workplace? It's a reality that continues today, except I now have no problem stepping in and calling people out on it. But since I'm no longer in the corporate world, those opportunities aren't there for me. I think I may have mentioned this, but I did so while in the Red Notice bubble. One of my background colleagues made what I thought was an inappropriate slur against homosexuals, and I told her I thought it was inappropriate. She apologized, but no one backed me up. So much for that. It really shouldn't matter if anyone has your back. You have to be true to what you believe and just have your own back. So in some networking is important. And sometimes you won't be able to tell if people are hitting on you or not. Maybe they're just being friendly. This from a man who grew up in the Northeast and was basically trained to never smile at people and not be friendly. Thank the Lord I moved to Atlanta and I so appreciate what it's done for my disposition. When I first moved here, I thought it was odd that complete strangers would say hello to me or wave as I was driving down the street of my cul-de-sac. Now I think it's completely normal and part of what I love about the South. Welcome back. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about acticles. You heard right, don't ask Siri or Alexa what this is or Google it because I just made it up. Really, A-C-T-I-C-L-E-S. I I made it up this morning while I was at the gym. We all know what a popsicle is. We know what an icicle is. An acticle is an actor who is frozen. Why? Because they've agreed to film a summer scene outside in January when it's 30 degrees out. It's effing freezing and stupid, and one of the things most people don't realize is happening. I complained about this happening on the resident recently, but last night on P Valley was a million times worse. Why? It was colder, about 30 to 35 degrees. It was dark out, so the sun wasn't warming us. The heaters sucked, maybe three or four across the street, and they only produce heat on. The front side, where there's room for only four to five people to stand. And because it was summer scene, we not only could not wear our winter coats, but the wardrobe was even lighter than last time. There were women in dresses and sleeveless shirts. I shouldn't complain, as it could have been worse for me. I was in a suit with a heavy t-shirt on. The problem for me was that my toes were freezing because I had worn only dress socks and my wingtips weren't keeping the cold out. They did try to mitigate the situation as we filmed, but we ultimately spent a good 15 minutes at a time freezing out there while trying to film. During the first scenes, the cameras were behind us, not catching our feet, so we could drop our coats on the ground and quickly grab them when they yelled, cut. But later, when they filmed from inside the house, You could see all of us. So we had to stash our coats up against the house, which meant running to the house and back each time. Aside from people normally yelling, mask off, we now had to endure the double order of mask off, coats off, followed a minute later by the inevitable masks on, coats on. And let me tell you that the order of these two phrases does matter. You cannot say, masks off first because then people are running around maskless dropping their coats. You really have to say coats off first so that as people are milling about, they're still masks. Masks off should only come at the point of when they yell rolling. I'm not sure they understood this because the order kept changing. When we were allowed to run back to holding, people would hover around these giant tubes that pumped heat into the room just to thaw themselves out. I heard through the grapevine that my two-day gig on Monarch next week is actually not in Atlanta as advertised. It's way up 85 in Gainesville, and it's another summer scene outside to be filmed in the middle of January. Thank you, Lisa, for letting me know. I have already warned people online via the Atlanta Backgrounders Facebook group, which I have to say, despite the bickering, can be an extremely valuable resource. I always ask questions there when I accept a new project, so I have feedback from others who have worked on it. What on earth would we be doing without Facebook? But don't get me started on that topic. I'm not a huge fan of the tool. For all the good it's done in bringing people together, It is so over-engineered, especially the business accounts, that I find it far too complicated to understand, let alone use to run my business. And it's played a huge role in spreading disinformation and having a huge negative impact on the world. Hey, it's my podcast and I can say what I want to. And hiding behind the new name Meta isn't fooling anyone. We know it's you, Mark. P.S. My buddy Desmond from The First Lady was the PA last night on P Valley. He's such a cool dude and I love running into great PAs I have worked with before. It's so nice to be recognized as if you're someone famous. And speaking of that perception, the guy who trimmed up my hair made this funny comment to me. He said that he loved my suit. Thank you very much. It is mine. And then he said that if I don't look like the most authoritative news anchor there is, then I don't know who does. Quite the compliment. I attribute it to my look. Going back to what that stranger had told me and now realize that my 30 plus years of corporate work probably has something to do with this. Everything you do in life molds you somehow and hopefully the end product is something recognizable and valuable to others. And by that, I mean industry people who may want to hire you. You be you, but hey, not too much because if you can't be someone else, then you basically cannot act. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Let me tell you something about feedback now while it's fresh in my mind. In a previous episode, I went on and on about how your job as a background actor is to act not assess their processes and let someone know what's working and what's not. I'm still on the fence about this, but only because number one, I don't see any defined mechanism for providing this feedback to the entertainment industry. And number two, I'm not sure they care, but some industries and people do care. I've spent a lot of time lately recognizing problems and letting people know so that they can improve things for others. For me, that is the benefit of providing people feedback. It's not to make them feel bad, It's not to make yourself feel good. It's simply to point out your perception of something that you don't think is working as good as it could so that maybe someone can think about improving it somehow. This week, I've gone through this with GEIGO, American Express, and my tire shop. It doesn't always go over that well, American Express has been the worst. I was simultaneously chatting online with someone about my issue while also speaking to someone on the phone. The person on the phone, as is typically the case, didn't have the skills or authority to solve the problem, so I asked to speak to a supervisor. That guy was just as bad. Instead of openly listening to me and giving the slightest indication that perhaps Amex's communications were lacking, he stood his ground. He insisted that American Express had done everything in its power to communicate effectively to me when I opened my new account. So I'm warning you, when you open a new card online, they bring up a window with your new account number and something called a CID, C-I-D. and you get a warning that the window will close in two minutes, so write this stuff down. And then you can use your new card before you get it in the mail. Well, that doesn't really work in all cases. I found out through multiple calls that many online merchants will not accept the SID because it's temporary. And you won't know who these are until you try it. And you can never use it to set up recurring automatic billing for the same reason. I was chatting with AT&T at the same time I had Amex on the phone and at t was just as bad at not being able to explain why my new card number was not working. The people at Amex cannot even consistently explain what a SID is and how it differs from a CVV. I got multiple answers. Some said they were synonymous. Not true. For Amex cards, the SID is the four-digit number on the front, while the CVV is three digits on the back. Most merchants always want the SID for an Amex card, but one customer rep said it's always the number on the back. I've had an Amex card since 1986, so I think I know how they work. This company is so pompous and arrogant, as if they're still living in the 1980s when it was somehow seen as the status symbol to carry the card because they made you believe it was exclusive. Well, it's not, and nobody wants your stupid credit card, especially the crazy metal black ones that cost you a fortune each year and probably wreak havoc on your literal wallet. If you think having an American Express card is some type of status symbol, then you've fallen fallen victim to someone's marketing propaganda and may need to examine your inner core a bit more closely. I like to put out somewhat negative reviews online because it means someone from the company will immediately call me to discuss what happened. I did this with CVS a while back when their point of sale system incorrectly charged me for multiple gift cards. I did it with my tire shop yesterday and someone named Elvis called me up to discuss it. First he said I had recorded it for the wrong location. Oops, he said he had looked me up in their company files and seen that I was actually a Decatur customer. So I explained the situation and he was totally receptive to the feedback. He agreed to speak to the person in question and then promised to call me later in the day to confirm that they could replace my tire today. Well, he never called. So now I plan to call him back and say, quote, you know, Elvis, I had assumed that as an operations manager, you were not part of the problem, but now I see that you are. How do you expect your employees to behave differently if you are setting the kind of example that you are? Promising to call me back and not doing so? Do I really need to write another review about this situation so that your manager can give me a call, call? unquote? That's where I draw the line. So here's what I was complaining about. And it's all about communication and setting expectations when i call them the woman tells me they don't take appointments but when i get there she admits they do just that they're booked solid for the next two weeks so all i can do is drop my car off at 7 30 when they open and that guarantees they'll be able to finish my car by the time they close at 5. sounds simple enough but it didn't make total sense to me what if 25 people show up at 7 30. how on earth can you guarantee that to all of them And if you're booked solid for two weeks how do you miraculously squeeze unscheduled people into the day are you really not booked solid her script had not prepared her to answer these questions she got totally flustered and then when i tried to hand her my key she told me there was no way they could replace my tire in the remaining two and a half hours of the day given all the promises they had made to other customers already so i went home wrote the review spoke to elvis when he called and then dropped it off this morning at 7:30. It's 12:15 PM and I may or may not be able to let you know how this all turns out. Just hear me out on this feedback topic. I didn't expect this portion to be this long, so I had to record it in two segments. And I'm a total idiot. My car is in the shop. I'm at the office two blocks away, but my phone died and I don't have a charger on me. So now I'm recording on my laptop. I don't even know where the microphone is. I spent hours on the phone yesterday with Geico and won't bore you with the gory details, but here's what you should know. They do everything in their power to avoid letting you speak to a live person because it costs too much. They try to use technology to automate everything, but when it doesn't work, you're basically screwed. Their mobile app allows you to schedule roadside assistance, but since I wasn't actually going to be where I said the car was, I had to cancel the request and start over. It wouldn't let me create a new request because even though it told me the first one was canceled, canceled, it kept telling me that it wasn't. Then when you call, you get a robot whose only job is to text you a link to their mobile app so you can do what I just did. I had to call and pretend I had a question about my policy just so I could reach a live person who was able to transfer me to another live person who created a new roadside assistance request. Plus, when the mobile app fails, it says retry or call this bizarre number in Maryland where a woman's office voicemail picks up and asks if you want to leave a message for Mary, John, Bob, Susan, or Larry. None of the above, thank you. Here's the number if you don't believe me, 301-547-2390. I tried it again today, after dialing that number, my phone displays a different number, 240 541 which is a GEICO robot. The second issue is that their systems are unable to store more than one mailing address and one email address for each policy, but they can store two phone numbers, they just can't keep track of which phone number belongs to whom. We've had this problem for years, and now that we're separated, it's gotten worse. Yesterday, the mobile app had already pre-populated the phone field with Cameron's cell number. I had a key in mine. Then after I called to fix this, they still called him about my flat tire. And then he texted me about it. I called again about the same issue, was assured it was fixed, and got this bizarre confirmation email. It said they had changed my home number, home number, and work number. Hmm. We don't have a home phone, and certainly not two, and I never knew I had a work number on the account. It said nothing about setting up cell phone numbers. When I discussed this with them, they seemed to think the letter was perfectly clear because it actually stated what they had done. And that's because Carol never told me she was removing those three numbers. Kind of like the American Express guy who firmly believed that what he was telling me was true. I asked him why. I said, you believe that as truth because someone at your company told you it was true? He didn't have an answer. I guess I did bore you with all the gory details. Mi dispiace, that's Italian for sorry, but actually translates to, I displease myself. Not really true, but whatever. Here's my final feedback story. I've been wanting to start a family for 30 years now. I discovered this surrogacy company called Circle Surrogacy back in 2015 and attended their all-day seminar in Atlanta in February, 2019. I had a full interview with a doctor and someone else. But they never followed up with me, primarily because my husband at the time wasn't on board. So my plans were dead in the water. I reached out again to them at the end of 2021 online and the response I got was baffling. The woman simply said that because I was 58, I was not going to be a successful candidate and here's another company who may be able to help you. I was so upset, both deflated and angry at the same time. I quickly pulled up the last email I had from 2019 from the president of the company and emailed him. A day later, I got a similar response, only this time even more vague. He said he had spoken to the woman who had replied to me and that, quote, you may be over our age guidelines, unquote. It sounds like they don't know. Either I am or I'm not. Are they really guidelines? They sound more like rules to me. Anyway, I wrote this really strongly worded email and set it aside. I've been looking at it every day now wondering if I should send it to them. On the one hand, it may come across too strong and they'll blackball me in the surrogacy world. But on the other hand, if I don't let them know how they have misled me by stringing me along for three years, someone else may suffer the same fate. When I was 55 in 2019, age was never mentioned as a potential issue. Dr. L was just concerned that I'd be around until at least 80 so the child wouldn't be orphaned. Had their policy changed? I'm not sure why I'm so fixated on this company, probably because they have great marketing and have convinced me that they'll take care of everything, except IVF of course, for only $175,000 per child. I have since gone back to research a local adoption agency whose seminar I also attended years ago. Their Facebook page has links to a video made by a same-sex male couple here in Atlanta, and their story has a much more profound effect on me. The way I see it now, adopting is a much more generous thing to do in this world, and at about 25% the cost, I could have four kids for the price of a single biological one. Oh, I ran into Kate Little while testing at Flow Labs yesterday morning. Despite the Omicron variant, we shared a New Year's hug. I think we're both working the same Disney show next week. I love, love, love running into my phone buddies because I never know when and where it's going to happen. This new variant has the US reaching record new infections, I think over a million in a single day this past week. And it's so difficult to pronounce, especially if you're Greek like me and pronounce it the Greek way Omicron. It's not Omicron or Omicron, it's Omicron. I just posted a video of me pronouncing it on Facebook if you want to watch that. I never really do this, but I've recorded every segment of this episode on the same day because, as I mentioned earlier, I was stuck in the office all day while my car was having a new tire put on. Anyway, I think I mentioned that my phone died. Well, because the phone was dead when they were trying to call me to let me know the car was ready. They couldn't get through, Um, and so I was basically texting them from my laptop But for some reason, the texts weren't going through. Then I went to their website and started talking to one of those chat bots. And that was totally useless because that wasn't a real person. And all it was doing was basically Popping up a little email thing, and I put in my name and address and phone number and email whatever, and send them a message, but of course, they never got that time or responded to it, so all I could really do was walk over there to see if it was ready, which is what I did, but I waited till four thirty because if they guaranteed that it would be done by five o 'clock then four thirty wasn 't going to be cutting it too close, and sure enough, it was done however. I had a very unpleasant surprise when I got there. It was not the $25 that they quoted me in the morning. It was $40. And I asked the woman to explain the $15 difference, and she got all huffy. And I mistook her for the woman I spoke to in the morning, and I think that upset her as well. And apparently there are these secret charges that you pay, tire disposition fee in Georgia tire fee and all this crap that amounted to at least another $10 and then there was tax on top. And she thought it was perfectly okay to not have mentioned those in the morning or it wasn't her problem because she wasn't the one I spoke to. So it was somebody else's issue. And that's what this woman does. She just likes to point the finger at somebody else and she likes to get very defensive. So um, I'm probably not going to call Elvis and talk to him about her because I'm just tired of dealing with him. But um, the issue seems to continue. So anyway, Uh, gotta get to bed and get some sleep for, uh, tomorrow, but, uh, just wanted to let you know how that story ended. It's Monday, January 10th, 2022. Yes, everything up to this point, I recorded two days ago from my office, but I forgot to mention three important things that happened on P Valley Friday night. I'll start with the executive summary and then go into details. One, there may be medical emergencies on set that you're not prepared to handle. Two, in that situation, people may subconsciously treat you as if you are the role you're playing. And three, the cast system. That's C-A-S-T-E, not C-A-S-T, is alive and well on set, so be prepared. First, you have no control over what's happening around you, and when a medical emergency ensues, it will be interesting, to say the least. This can happen anywhere, including background holding. We are all sitting quietly, minding our own business, when the woman at the table next to me began yelling, Medic! Medic! And then I looked around and saw a man on the ground, just outside the dressing rooms, having a seizure. I've never witnessed this before, so it was quite upsetting to my brain. His whole body was shaking, and his arms especially were in front of him, moving while white fluid poured out of his mouth. For the next 20 seconds, as people tried to wrap their head around what was happening, the calls for medic spread to others who were simply parroting the first woman. It was very confusing. Where was the medic? Who was the medic? And who in the room was in charge of addressing this? People seemed to be yelling to the opposite corner of the room, and very quickly, four to five crew came running over to help. But it's not very clear at all who is crew and who is not crew in a situation like this. It's not as if crew wears giant labels. You have to assume that people with walkie-talkies and lots of stuff hanging off of them actually work there. I'm not sure if and when the medic actually arrived, because the medic doesn't wear a fluorescent vest of any kind or a label that identifies them as such. After attending to the man, the group in charge quickly decided that they needed more space and made a big announcement. This came from Desmond. Everyone close to the incident needs to shift over to another table away from him. He did this with big sweeping motion of his arms, as if to suggest 100 people were supposed to get up and move, but to where we did not know. In the end, what he actually meant was the people at the two to three tables closest should simply move to another table. And then they moved those vacated tables to make more space. It was almost as if they were suggesting that the ambulance was going to drive into this holding warehouse through the elephant door, and we needed to stay clear of that. But that's not what happened. A good 30 minutes later, the ambulance arrived. The man was now sitting up, and they lifted him onto a stretcher and took him away. I stopped rubbernecking, but only after I witnessed more stuff coming out of his mouth that I won't describe here in any detail. In sum, the herd mentality in situations such as this is fascinating to watch. Who jumps in to help and stands by just to watch? At what point does authority intervene and say, Thanks for jumping in, but we'll take it from here, so please get away? I was so disturbed by this that I actually thought for a second that maybe I needed to take a mental health day and tell the PA that I couldn't possibly continue to work after seeing this. But I didn't. My second point is just as interesting. This woman wandered over to me and started asking what had happened. I summarized the event in a very professional manner, delivering just the facts as any good news anchor does. When she left, I realized I had no idea why she had approached me had she seen that I was close to the incident when it happened? Was it completely random and that I was someone just now standing near her? Or because I was the only person wearing a suit pretending to be a news anchor on set, that she should ask the news anchor because that's what news anchors do, deliver the news. I'll never know. But here's my warning. The next time you agree to play a doctor or nurse on the resident, be warned. If someone goes into labor on set, you may be asked to pitch in and help deliver that baby. My third point to relay here is to be prepared for the look that says you're scum. I've talked about the hierarchy in the industry and how background is at the bottom of the totem pole, and this happened once again. After I got settled in, I walked over to the crafty table for a snack. The woman there looked down her nose at me and said, there was a different table over there for background. So I went to that other table where they were much friendlier. Laid out were small brown paper bags with handles full of pre-selected snacks. The issue here is not everyone likes everything, so I had to peer into the bags to see what I was getting. They said they were all the same, but that wasn't true. I gravitated to the pretzels and peanuts. But since I had no paper towels, I had to go back to the other crafty table and ask for a paper towel. And then three hours later, they were serving pizza there, but only to crew, of course. 20 minutes later, Desmond walked around telling us that we were now allowed to have pizza as well. I got a piece and then stupidly reached for a paper towel, and the woman slapped my hand while saying, quote, don't touch, I'll get you one, unquote. She had tried to make me feel like a misbehaving child, but I refused to let that be my reaction because only you can control how you react to something remember that. I think they intentionally do not put a sign on the table just to confuse you and give them the opportunity to send you away. I mean, how difficult is it to create signs that say crew only for the first table and background for the second, and another sign that warns do not touch anything, we will get it for you. Every other production does this, but not P-Valley. This is not rocket science simple communication, which the world seems to be in short supply of these days. Finally, when discussing networking earlier, I forgot to mention that this applies to social media as well. I have, as of late, reached out to complete strangers on Facebook to express interest in projects they're doing. And it works. That's how I got my first lines in early January, and I expect it will open other doors as well. One person in Nashville went as far as to say he would write me into the script as either a dad or school principal, but he was on a plane at the time and said he needed to see my reel, which I don't yet have, so that probably will not pan out for me. It's Thursday, January 13th, 2022. My week has fallen apart. I was supposed to film three days, and now it's turning up to be just one. I booked an audition for a background role on Zoltar Wednesday at 5 p.m., so in order to do that, I was going to have to cancel my second day on the Monarch rodeo scene, but before I could, the second day of filming was moved from Wednesday to Thursday. I had a conflict with Class of 09, so I couldn't do the second day. Then last night, at the 11th hour, Class of 09 canceled filming today. I thought for a second about reaching out to Central to see if I could get back on Monarch today, but then realized how silly it would be to subject myself to another 12 hours of freezing temperatures. For all the complaining on Facebook about this show, it wasn't really that bad. Yes, it gets cold at 5.30 p.m. when the sun goes down, and we were there for five more hours. I layered extensively, but once again, my toes were freezing. I did get to do one huge pass towards the end. The bleachers were full of people, and I was the sole person walking up the stairs past them to my seat, all the while smiling and greeting five to six people along the way. It got to be funny at one point. As soon as they yelled, reset, The heels of my feet were kicking the metal seats as I rose, making this loud noise, and everyone knew it was me, because no one else was moving in the scene, so they all started laughing when this happened. My only other comment is that I was glad to have witnessed a rodeo for the first time, but I don't think I'll ever attend one. For real or on set. It felt like animal cruelty to see the poor bulls being taunted and extremely dangerous for the riders. One of them actually wore what looked like a bicycle helmet with a cage or his face. And the clowns weren't that funny. I learned their job is to distract the bull as the fallen rider makes his way to safety. We learned that we were filming episode 104, which should mean the fourth episode, That sounded strange given the show is supposed to premiere at the end of January 2022 in just a few weeks, meaning this episode would air roughly four weeks later. But then yesterday it was announced that NBC has moved it to the fall due to some production issues related to COVID. The Zoltar interview last night was fun. It's one of those situations where you don't really know how to prepare, and it's very much left to you to be creative and have fun with it, as Central Casting told me. And I quote, Bring any kung fu moves you have. If you have anything to dress the part, that's a bonus, but not required. Have fun with it. Be creative. Don't overthink it. Production just wants to see you look the part. Wink. Unquote. So I put on a fluffy white terry bathrobe, did some research on karate moves, and planned a short lesson for them. I even changed the lighting in my studio to better present myself. My background pal Kevin suggested I buy a daylight bulbs with a rating of 5,000 or higher So I stopped at the Home Depot to get these. I am actually in the process of buying a lighting package to support the filming I do in that room, but I had to improvise with table lamps for the time being. The quality of the visuals is clear. My only question was whether to do this using my iMac, which has a huge screen, or put my iPhone on my gimbal on my desk. The quality of the phone video was much better, so I went that route and made sure I could easily see myself and stand back far enough so they could see as much of me as possible. Anyway, when the call came through, I was surprised to see Anu Valya, the director from Clover, otherwise known as She-Hulk. She introduced herself, and I told her I'd worked with her on that show in August as the father of the groom. She seemed very impressed at what i had put together and thought it was hilarious that I told her my karate uniform was at the dry cleaners, hence the white bathrobe with the black tie serving as my belt. Once I stripped that off, I went through the four basic moves for them. I showed them a stance, a punch, a kick, and a block. More specifically, the masubi dahi, straight punch, front kick, and inward block. The only other thing she asked me to do was show them in action. In other words, throw a punch in real time, kick the kick, and block the opponent. It was all very quick and over within 10 minutes. I have no idea who I was competing with. It could have been people with real karate experience. But my point is, there's no such thing as over-preparing. To get the job, you have to show them how resourceful and creative you can be in the situation. Given that I had absolutely no experience with karate, I was able to improvise and display my willingness to learn and show them how quickly I could do this. You can see some of this on Instagram as I recorded and posted a video as three separate reels. Just hours after this, Central pinged me to be a parent or teacher on this show, so either they have no idea I've interviewed for this special role or it doesn't matter. Either way, I hope to end up on the show. It's about this chronically ill guy who wishes to wind back the clock and his wish is granted when he comes across a Zoltar machine. He got stuck as a teenager and has to relive his whole life all over again. You all know what a Zoltar is, right? After seeing all these Liberty Mutual commercials where the woman smashes the glass and frees him and he thanks her, it's this genie guy sitting in a glass booth that you see at amusement parks and fairs. You pay him some money to read your fortune. He looks like a giant puppet. The Wonder Years episode 11 aired last night. It's called Brad's Mitzvah. My fake wife and I got some great coverage in the scene where Dean interrupts the ceremony by getting out of his seat to help Brad out. She and I are the last people sitting in the row, and Dean walks directly behind us as we give each other quizzical looks as if to ask, what the heck is going on here? Why is this kid interrupting our son's bar mitzvah? I thought I was scowling a lot more when they filmed it, but that expression only shows at the very end of the clip. They are filming The Wonder Years tomorrow on Cameron Street, so I may camp out there for the day and be as obnoxious as possible just to see what they do. They're paying him only $200 to run cables through his backyard, which is more than a background person gets for a whole day of work. The Ordinary Joe episode, where he sings the national anthem, also aired last night. Recall this is the one where I was picked to be the national anthem coordinator, but had to leave so I could get up at 3 a.m. To work on The Walking Dead. I learned from a friend later that the woman who replaced me also went missing, and at one point, they were frantically looking for me. I think they ended up scrapping this part of the scene because there was no one in the episode escorting Joe and Zach. But now having seen this, boy, would that have been a plum roll. No one told me they were the ones singing the national anthem. It's Sunday, January 16th, 2022. I was done with this episode, but had to add just a few more things because I have no idea when I'll have time to make another. Clearly, I did not get the Zoltar role, but that's okay. It was educational and fun just to audition for it. Second, Central pinged me for availability to be core background for Tom Swift for the next seven months. The pay is awful, but it's a ton of work, which means... It all adds up. If I get that, I'll either decide there's nothing interesting to report on, or you'll hear about nothing but Tom Swift for February through August. I caught the first episode of Naomi a few nights ago, and I am visible talking to the waitress whose real name is Stephanie Moise, just after the Superman explosion, all of which was filmed at the lovely Decatur Square just a few miles from home. Oh, I did spend five hours at Cameron's Friday morning. It was so boring. Some crew were there at 9 a.m. setting up the filming didn't start until 2. I talked to someone about having to move my car at some point, and then someone else asked if they could change the lantern light bulbs outside, and they ended up promising Cameron $400, twice the original amount, but he had to figure out how to complete the paperwork. All this just to have your house appear in an episode of The Wonder Years. Finally. These auditions take a lot of time. I'm on my third one this week. Only this time, I need two people to read the lines with me. So I've rounded up Kaylee and David to help out. I'm sure I'll dedicate an entire segment to this topic down the road. This is my second Actors Access audition. You tape yourself doing whatever they ask and then upload it. Bye for now. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of The Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG rules of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out. And if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.